just what's his name we have just sat down to record today's episode and they've just this minute released the Star Wars trailer so Michael and I thought it would be fun to actually just watch it and record our reaction to it for as it's unfolding we've never seen this before have we no. we've just this minute sat down to record they've just released this at Star Wars Celebration should we watch it twice What's once to <laughs> hey, I've indulge been, it I've died twice should we, should we give it a go tilt it a bit right tilt it, so you can see it properly there you go. is that alright with you that's alright that okay, ready Friday. we're going to give it a go and here we go this following preview has been approved by blah the comics call seven it. seconds of nothing they know how to milk it don't they does Lucasfilm still exist? Lucasfilm still exists. Lucasfilm sold Lucasfilm oh, too. LucasArts that doesn't exist. Yes, pretty much. Ooh, what's that? Is that a dead crate dragon? Uh, it's a crash star destroyer. That's a little bit interesting. You think that's been there since Return of the Jedi? Oh, Luke! That's, that's like a Darth Vader head. Survived the Death Star explosion. Apparently so. Okay. No, he burned it, didn't he? He took the body with him. Did he take the helmet with him, though? He took the whole body with him. In- including the helmet he took off. Presumably, yes. I don't have that power, too. Who's he talking to? The trickster. <laughs> oh, I love that shot of the X-Wings. I know that shot of the X-Wings is great. Big Stormtroopers, new chick, TIE Fighters, <laughs> blowing up. Oh, that's a cool shot. I like that shot. Yeah, yeah, new guys. Where's the old guys? Just the sound effects, they just really cool. That's it. Yeah. The show of Harrison Ford. Actually, that was quite good, wasn't it? That was alright. I like that. That was good. I'm still a bit reserved. Why are you a bit reserved? Uh, I, I don't like the idea from the start, to be honest. Why not? Oh, oh, what? they released the Battlefront trailer. What's not to like? Okay, apparently it's not a link. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really bothered about it. It just looks nice, but I'm still a bit not sure. Yeah, alright, well, there you go. Live reaction to the Star Wars trailer. Pre-credit sequence. Gift. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. We just watched the Star Wars trailer at the beginning of the show. Mm. It was grand. It's all right. Yeah, it I like Han Solo's natty leather jacket. It looks, uh, at least he's not wearing exactly the same clothes 30 years later. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a bit crap, wouldn't it? It's just a shame that, you know, Han Solo's in it. 
What's wrong with Han Solo? Oh, nothing. Just, you know, let's, let's forget everything that other people have been working hard on for the past how many years. Han and... Solo was still alive in the Expanded Universe, dude. You're right. Chewbacca wasn't. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of other characters that weren't regurgitated because, um, what's his face? J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams just wanted to make... You mean you're implying that J.J. Abrams has let his ego stomp all over other people's work for the purpose of making a movie? I didn't imply. I think I more said it. <laughs> I didn't imply. I think I outright stated that. Yeah. It's, it's not like he's got past form in doing yeah. that, is it? I mean, is, is it just going to be Star Trek but with different characters? No, because Star Trek isn't Star Wars, as much as he may have tried to make it into Star Wars. Star Trek isn't Star Wars. Do you have, did you ever have it where you had like, arguments over which you preferred Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, yeah. Well, now you don't have to. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> and that's, that's a sad, sad thing, isn't it? Mm. They're now both homogenous. And it makes no difference. Alright, okay, that was good. I enjoyed it. Oh, I'll probably watch it a few more times. The Darth Vader bit was, was the most interesting bit to me. Like you say, he dragged his body with the mask off. Yeah. But when you saw him burn the funeral pyre, I'm sure he still had the helmet on. So, do you think they're going to resurrect Darth Vader? I would not put it past them. You know? No. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You know, let's throw in the Emperor as well. Let's just remake the first three. Yeah, sure. They're Jab- looking a bit old for Jabber today's in there as well, yeah. yeah. You know, even, even Greedo f***s and giggles. <laughs> even though he quite clearly was shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just put Greedo... They could retcon it to Greedo lived first. Yeah. And, yeah. Alright, okay, fair enough. Anyway, should we do a couple of emails? Okay. This, this night, Gabriel Jimenez has emailed in again. Robin episodes, I must say, says Gabriel... Considering previous shows, you're hinting on previous shows, I expected a lot more dick puns, jokes, or play on words, so I applaud your resolve and maturity. Hopefully you won't make too much of a habit of it. As always, very good, enjoyable show. I will admit I'm not much of a fan of the original Robin. Fact of the matter is that I have had little to no exposure of Grayson as Robin. I have made a mental check of my collection, and I think that even the first few old issues of Batman comics I own, Robin does not make an appearance, and my Titans collection basically starts with the Judas contract. So, I'm a fan of Grayson as a character, though. I think Nightwing is a pillar of the Bat family, and he more than holds his own as a standalone hero. He's really versatile, able to work well as a supporting character or protagonist in his own comic. Part of several power couples, able to take the mantle of the Bat, serve as mentor, etc. Whilst I appreciate his major worth, my Robin is, and always will be, Tim Drake. Whilst I sadly don't have Tim's first appearance, I do have A Lonely Place of Dying, all three of the early minis, and a good chunk of the Dixon run on Robin. Anyway, since you seem to get a thrill, I'll say I'm typing this at 3.48am at the office where I am working in Los Angeles waiting for the last state return to generate so we can leave. So yeah, writing this up on company time. Laters, guys. Thanks for all the chuckles and entertainment. 3.48 in the morning... I hope you're on some serious overtime for that, Gabriel. I really do. Uh, yeah, and thank you for emailing in. It was, um, yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. Mm-hmm. Tim Drake, good Robin. 
like Tim Drake, especially when Chim Tim Chim Dixon. Chim Dixon. Chim Chim Chixon. <laughs> Dim Chixon wrote him. He was good him, wasn't he, Dim Chixon? He, yeah. he was a great writer. Grand. Why does Dim Chixon not get any more work? That's what I wanna know. <laughs> Sorry, that's abused me. That's tickled me. Michael Ridges emailed back, pandering to comic speculators. The 90s. Greetings, Andrew and Michael. I just listened to your third episode on the comics of the 90s. I heard you say your mail sack was shrunken. Which is, you know, medically never healthy, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, you need to get that checked out. You do need to get that checked out. There you go, Gabriel. <laughs> we lowered the tone almost instantly. <laughs> So I thought I would forward some brief comments. Congratulations on approaching your 200th episode. It shows persistence, if nothing else. I've given a listen to a dozen or so old episodes since trying out your Robin episode. I enjoyed them and learned some things about British comics distribution. Oh, good. We're edu- hey, kids comics, educational and fart gags. Players in school still love us. <laughs> for us in polite society. Um, yeah, four times one is four. Four times two is four. Dick jokes. <laughs> four times two is four. Yeah, yeah. So you see, you're offering something to the educational system already. E- exactly. Because <laughs> let's be honest, the current educational uh, system is failing young students. It is. That, that's absolutely true. Should dick we carry on? The way forward. Dick and fart gags. Exactly. The way forward. Yeah, yeah. Sing to the children's level to learn a lot more. Uh, Michael continues. <laughs> Listening to the older episodes, Michael, made me realise that I was too quick to jump on you for your silly remark. Firstly, I learned that many things are silly to you and your farm. <laughs> That's very true. We do find many things silly. Modern life is silly. It is. In many ways. Secondly, I realise that you are not the kind of young reader who instantly dismisses older, less grim and gritty comics as a waste of time. I apologise for the testiness of my remarks. I'm really just a grumpy old man. Uh, I don't remember any remarks, but uh, you're forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) I was never a collector or a speculator. I was just a comic book reader. I kept the books because I thought I would read them again. I kept the Tarzan books because when I was home from school with a cold, I wanted the comfort of a familiar story. You could always find something new in an adventure with Uncle Scrooge, Donald and the nephews. Thanks for putting in the work to let me hear your thoughts on comics. Well, it's not a problem, Michael. Well, and thank you for emailing back and being big enough to admit that you made a mistake about young Michael. Uh, no, he was the guy who emailed in about the, the Robin in the 30s thing and how getting that job would be perfectly acceptable in that time period. Oh, OK. That was a good email, then. Yeah. yeah. Very much enjoyed that. Uh, Andrew Morton has emailed in. Hi, Andy and Michael. After your coverage of Scott Pilgrim, I have a question for you. I've only ever seen the film, and it strikes me watching it that there seems to be no reason why Ramona would have any interest in Scott. Not even a wry smile at his idiocies. So I was wondering, do you think that it is clear in either the film or the comic, and I'm just missing something, or is it just not sold very well? A couple of other thoughts. I thought that the twins' fight in the film was rightly cut down in order to keep the running time sensible. And I absolutely love the film's negger Scott joke. Thanks, Andrew Morton. As I don't have my own show to shamelessly plug, can I recommend the Verity podcast, tagged as Six Smart Women Discussing Doctor Who? You can plug whatever you want, Andrew. We're, uh, we're, we're quite happy to plug anything, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about his question? Do you think Ramona falling for Scott is sold in the film? I think... 
if you had to ask that question... Then it obviously isn't. Then it isn't. But I think it, it definitely is in the books. Yeah, I think it is in the books. Yeah. It works quite well in the books. Yeah, it's quite a, a mature, over-time relationship. Yeah, and there's the, although it's only one year of his life... He uses the expansive page count of a manga volume to... I I didn't feel that the Scott-Ramona relationship was not working. Mm. It felt organic and real to me. In that they just kind of fell for each other without any real... There was nothing else, really. She just kind of liked him. And he kind of liked her. Mm -hmm. I felt sorry for Knives. But at the same time, she grew from it. She did. Knives Chow was the one who, who grew the most. Yeah. In many ways. In regards to the twin fight, I think maybe it being cut down for the film is fine. Mm-mm. Because that works for the film. But as an adaptation of the characters and the story in the books, I, I think it cuts out a large chunk of important story. You think? Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I, we should have rewatched the film before we did the episode. In the we, film, they completely didn't. cut out the twins. Yeah. Well, like Andrew says, to keep the, the running time sensible. Yeah, but because of how important they were in the books, mm. it's kind of... It, it takes rather than adds something. Right. Okay. But yeah, fuck on it. Final email tonight's from Jason Trainer, the short-lived John's Junior run. Greetings, Leylands. I guess I have to clean up a few things. Jimmy was found to be rich in the Lobdell run. It was a complete shock to Clark when he found that out. The run also had Hector Hammond be someone Superman clashed with several times. Why, is Superman not going to go bad guys of his own? He has to go nicking Green Lanterns. Yeah. Uh, also, it was in Lobdell's run that Clark went from working for the Daily Planet to being an independent blogger working with Cat Grant. And dear Lord Jones, we know you worked with Richard Donner. Please stop. Man, Clark needs to make some new friends. He just hasn't been the same since Ginny moved out of the apartment. Even Cara's gotten better than that after she got a red lantern ring. Supergirl got a red lantern ring? When did that happen? Oh, it was an event. Oh, was it? I think so. You say that as in that it wasn't really an event at all kind of way. I never read it, but I know they made a big deal out of it. Oh, alright. He okay. crossed over into the Red Lantern book. Alright, he does say you mean, we, we may want to check out Tony Badard's Supergirl and Charles Sewell's Red Lantern runs. We may yeah. want to, <laughs> but it's unlikely. I would imagine, at this point. If you want a Superman for this generation, well, I have my 33-page-long DC Presents cartoon idea. <laughs> well, you pitched that to DC, Jason. <laughs> yeah. And when it gets made, and it's on Cartoon Network or whatever channel it is, the Warner Brothers and the sister Dot own, then uh, we will watch it. As I can tell you're annoyed with the malaise written for the trade or hacked up into parts graphic novels, I do have some suggestions. First off, for a more compact, funny book, there is Spider-Man and the X-Men. Next is Scooby-Doo Team-Up. Seriously, you'd enjoy these books if you review them on the show. Still, this has been an interesting look into John's supposedly epic run of Superman, which Greg Pak has written more of in Action Comics and Superman Batman, and I mean individual issues of both books are longer than John's Superman run. Still, that looks like a job for Superman to get some good writers and artists on his books. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe Superman could look into doing that. Do you think Scooby-Doo ever teamed up with Batman? Scooby-Doo did team up with Batman. Was it Scooby-Doo Brave and the Bold? I don't know what it was called, but it's a DVD in, in Asda for three quid. Oh, yeah, they did the animated one, didn't mm. they? Uh, did Adam West and Burt Ward do the voices? I have no or idea. Or did you have Casey Kirsten talking to himself? Because <laughs> he did the voice of both Robin and Shaggy. Right, okay. Because so, that could have been quite weird for the guy, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Shaggy and Robin had uh, a scene together and it was the same voice. 
or they use that to the advantage to make a few hilarious jokes. <laughs> I wouldn't know because I've never seen it. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I don't think I even want to pay three quid for it. Fair enough. I'll see if it's on Netflix. <laughs> Scooby Doo versus Batman. Type that in and see what happens. Uh, final email for the night is from new emailer. Ah. Go on, is give it, us, is give that us your. Is that his name? Yeah, that's his name. Give us your new what's his name. Oh. Give us your fan for. Give us the Fox That's Thunderbirds. Give us the Fox that fan because it's not going to be on Star Wars films anymore. Dun 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 dun. Good. New email alert. <laughs> Justin Elliott. Hello, Justin. Hello, lovely podcasters. On this very special email to the show, I will be covering what may very well be one of the best podcasts out there. That's right, today I am covering Hey Kids Comics. But first, emails! Well, this is an email, so I guess that covers that. So, on to the review. Hey Kids Comics, written by Andrew Leyland, sometimes written by Michael. Ed Art by Michael Leyland, edited by Mandy Leyland. <laughs> Please stop with the Mandy. Letters by Michael Bailey and Luke Giaconetti. Distributed by Monsieur Dumanzo, Editor-in-Chief Angela Leyland. Hey Kids Comics first heard on January 6th, 2011. Is that true? I don't know. Really? 2011? I'm, I'm not arguing with this synopsis. Wow, it what? It's like more research than we put It, it does look like more effort than we put into a show, yeah. With a review of Superman's Secret Origin. Well, they got that right, so let's assume that yeah. you got the date right. From there, the father-son pair have covered an awe-inspiring array of comics, both from the big two and the indies and imprints, keeping to an impressive weekly schedule. I have come to this show quite late, only discovering it in the past month and marathoning my way through the backlog of episodes. What? What? How did you discover us, Justin? What was it? Was it the uh, loads of money Demonzo spends on advertising? We have we have billboards in, <laughs> in LA. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but with would that be true? I'm still pitching us as replacing Clarkson on Top Gear. Yeah, yeah. I think we would kill on that show. And we could introduce the first show as we're not Jeremy Clarkson. I don't, I don't think people would appreciate our approach to hosting Top Gear, though. Why not? Well, like, in this issue of Archive, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Dodge Charger. People would not appreciate us turning we, Top Gear we, into a stealth comic yeah, show. We don't have the money to have an actual Dodge Charger here, but look at the art. <laughs> Do you know, I think we've just made that show better. <laughs> the ratings would tank. Can you see that everyone up in the back? Get a, get a camera over here. <laughs> That's a really good idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm pitching this idea to the BBC. I think we should, yeah. I think we should totally do Top Gear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is only one barrier to us doing Top Gear. Go on. You can't drive. I can on a private drive. Exactamo. Yeah. So I'd have to do all the external stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because does Top Gear need three hosts, really? Oh, you know, you, when it's an exterior shot, you can do the drive-in, or when it's an interior shot, I'll just... <laughs> with a wig up. With a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look how this handles. Like the green, like the, the, the back screen on, on airplane. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. I can be driving through the Wild West. No one will know the difference. Anyway, Justin's email... <laughs> 
As this is supposed to be short, not a novel, I will simply stick to my overall thoughts on this, my first email. I think by, by this point it should be pretty obvious I'm very partial to this show. I lie directly between the two representative ages of the host so I can see both points of view when they differ. I enjoy the coverage of the comics I have little to no knowledge of as much as the stories that I'm intimately familiar with. The stories are all well synopsized and reviews are strongly explained and argued even when they disagree. I love the nerdy in-jokes and one-off lines that refer to any number of other things. Buffy, Douglas Adams, Donnie Darko, old 80s TV shows and Star Wars just to name a few. All things I love. Just makes me feel good. Do you know what he's missed out, though? What has he missed In addition out? to Superman the movie. Okay. Because you, you can't get enough Superman the movie shoehorned in references. Jeff Jones. The Smiths. Alright. How often do we quote The Smiths? Um, a lot. It's pretty regular. It is. Because you just haven't earned it yet, baby. But enough praise and glory. Time for the complaints. Oh, man, are we going to like this bit? Actually, we'll probably prefer this bit. Yeah, complaints are funny. Complaints are funny. I know that's what you prefer. <laughs> Being a diehard Marvel zombie, it is at times a bitter pill to swallow when you overly criticise them, even when they so clearly deserve it, such as the story we will not name of a battle of warlike proportions between non-military civilian superheroes. I like what he did, though. Civil, civil. Uh, yeah, you. okay. Just get, just check. <laughs> I don't dislike DC, but I was raised on the Marvel method. And especially when Andrew takes on my personal favourite of all the teams, the X-Men. When Andrew says they are whiny and overdramatic, I hear complex interpersonal dynamics. If Andrew doesn't already, he needs to listen to the amazing Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men podcast. Not mine, but definitely worth plugging. And for the love of all things holy, I know you Brits dislike the letter R, but it is pronounced Xavier. I know Xavier is French, but every multimedia form of X-Men pronounces it the American way. Right, first off, just because <laughs> everything pronounces it the American way, don't make that right. Because my French teacher, right. who did live in France, <laughs> and therefore I consider to be far more of an authority on this subject right. than somebody who makes a cartoon, drummed it into me that it's Xavier. Okay. So, there you go. So there's no way in hell I'm changing the pronunciation, <laughs> because Mr. Foster would probably never forgive me. And I quite liked Mr. Foster. All he right. was a good laugh. So that ain't happening. Um, the, why do we like the, the letter R? That's it was the letter U. I don't mind it. You've not got a clue, have you? No, I don't. Okay, alright, fair enough. And... R, R, I'm a shark. <laughs> what was that show? R, 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 I'm a shark. Yeah, there was a kid showing me there used to be baptized... The rubber, the rubber dubbers. Dubbers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that voice from the heavens that answers our questions. I've been blessed today. I'm forsooth. We did bow before the rubber dubbers. <laughs> Why do I remember that? I don't know. You had a misspent childhood, though. When you were watching Jurassic Park, our small soldiers, that is. Yeah, well, that was um, Anya's era of. The Rubber Dubbers. Yeah. Maybe she used to watch it then and you had no choice. Yeah, Because yeah. you know what she's like. To this day, if she wants to watch something terrible, we have no choice. There is that. Oh, was it Adam? Oh, there you go, Adam was the Rubber. So you will have still been little enough okay. to watch it with him then. Whereas by the time you got to Anya's arrival, you were a bit, what's this filth? And yet I still watch Charlie and Lola. Well, Charlie and Lola's brilliant. Even without Anya. Oh, Charlie and Lola's great, that's why. Yes. You are my favourite and my best. <laughs> I love Charlie and Lola. Anyway, that was a tangent, wasn't it? 
Uh, I enjoy trailers for the other shows, says Justin, but this is also has the unfortunate side effect of giving me more shows to listen to. I fear I may never catch up. Continuity and nitpicks! Not done that for a while. Mm. Whilst I enjoy the format that the show eventually fell into, the original one-for-one premise did interest me, and it would have been interesting to see where it went. So there you have it, a very quick and probably not very good summation of one of the best podcasts out there. Rachel and Miles just beat you for best. Really, you need to listen to it. I don't mind being second best. If you're second best, people ignore you, and, and you know, okay. they don't pay too much attention to it. The blue shell just flies right past Yeah, you. yeah, if you're top of the heap, people pay attention to you, and if you're bottom of the heap, people pay attention to you. I like being nuddled right in the middle. Alright. You know, just but cruising along. Like Red Dwarf. Nothing yeah. will get you if you're... you're <laughs> yeah, nothing will get you if you're in the middle. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, it's easy to see from first listen why this show is so very popular with its tens of loyal followers. <laughs> Tens of loyal followers. I think he's been overly nice, I though. I don't think that S should be, though. <laughs> it's ten followers. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> we established that our listenership went up to 16 at some point? I think it did, Did yeah. it? Well, it's just in 70. <laughs> there is that, so yeah. So there you go. Thank you both for a wonderful show. I can't wait for more, Justin Elliott. He says you're a fan, but we don't have fans. What do you think of this podcast, Michael? It's all right. <laughs> That email abused me. I like that email. It was funny. Anyway, while I recover from the email, we will plug a show. I don't know who's at this juncture. And uh, we'll be right back with the second part of The Punisher at 42. 42? What kind of answer's that? It's the ultimate answer. The space, the universe and everything. Life. Life. The universe and everything. My name is Bob Fisher and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years, and if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com If the late 1980s and early 1990s were a boom time for Frank Castle's unique brand of justice, the mid to late 90s were a bust. With his three regular comics cancelled, The Punisher went back to being guest star du jour, appearing in Spider-Man, Daredevil, Ghost Rider and The Hulk, before being given a shot at the title again with a new monthly. Sadly, despite the talents of John Ostrander and Tom Lyle, this only lasted 18 issues, and Castle returned to being a guest star, bugging Spider-Man on a regular basis, popping up in the short-lived Power Man and Iron Fist revival, Heroes for Hire, and being a supporting cast member in miniseries like Code of Honor. The award for the most unusual place The Punisher appeared goes to Kazar issue 15 and 16. In late 1998, Joe Quazada and his partner, Jimmy Pamiati, were approached to give Marvel a kickstart with a collection of characters under the banner of Marvel Knights. Mostly second-tier characters who had fallen from favour, the Marvel Knights imprint took Daredevil, 
Black Panther. The Inhumans and the Punisher gave them a lick of paint and a new number one and unleashed them back upon the world enduring new storylines. They were spectacular looking books printed on high-end paper with great painted covers and were, for the most part, well received. The Punisher, however, was considered the one misstep. Recast as a vengeful angel, this version of the Punisher did not find favour with its audience and was quietly dismissed by the next creative team with a terse it didn't take when the character is called out on his recent dalliance with being an angel. And who were this next creative team, I hear you ask? Well, none other than Preacher Supremo's writer Garth Ennis and artist Steve Dillon. Released in 2000, Welcome Back Frank was a 12-issue black comedy, still under the Knight's banner, that placed the Punisher in more familiar territory and was well-received by fans. So much so, Marvel immediately followed it up with another series by the same creative team. This series has its moments of sublime Ennis brutality and black humour, but by being set firmly in the Marvel Universe, it played against Ennis's sensibilities. Marvel Editorial frequently asked him to put guest appearances by superheroes in the series against Ennis's wishes, and in retaliation, Ennis wrote stories that took the piss out of Spider-Man, Daredevil and Wolverine, firmly believing Marvel would throw their arms up in disgust and ask him to take the characters out. To his surprise, Marvel published them. To be honest, some of them are frankly embarrassing, spoiling the series, but this was all just warm-up for the main event. Marvel had started publishing an imprint called Max that showcased harder-edged material. Mostly this just meant they could swear a lot, but they gave Ennis carte blanche to write The Punisher as we'd always wanted to see him. Ennis took the character's roots in Vietnam and, freed from Marvel continuity, he established The Punisher as having aged in real time. Frank, now in his 60s and thoroughly pissed off, was a grizzled and embittered soldier who had killed over 2,000 people. The series began brutally, but this was nothing compared to what was to come. Ennis, like the Punisher, was just warming up. Originally presented in Punisher Max 25 through 30 from late 2005 to early 2006, The Slavers was written by Garth Ennis with art by Leandro Fernandez and Scott Koblish. Tim Bradstreet provided the really rather excellent covers to the series. For issue 25, uh, what looks like a male figure is seen from behind, and only one arm clutching a pistol. A lady is on the floor looking up and pleading. It could go either way, to be honest. It could be the Punisher, here to take the girl away from whatever situation she's found herself in, or this could be her tormentor. What do you think, Mike? I think it's the Punisher. You think it's a Tim Bradstreet Punisher cover, don't you? Yeah. Which, you know, it, it pretty much is. They are much of a muchness, mm. it does have to be said. Which is not to say we think that they're bad. Just some are better than others. But some uh, some girls are bigger than others. And some girls' mothers are bigger than other girls' mothers. Indeed they are. Some Tim Bradstreet covers are better than others. Mm-hmm. There we go. All right, fair enough. They're all, pretty, all the covers are pretty much going to follow that, aren't they? Yeah. You either like Tim Bradstreet stuff or you don't. You either think it's too photo-referenced or you don't. I like them, but it, it look, it, they always look rotoscoped to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't look photo-referenced, mm. per se, but they do look like they're rotoscoped from poto, po- photos. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I definitely think that. But I also think they're all boring. They're good, but boring. And that's the reason why they were used on merchandising and, and trading cards. Even his hellblazer stuff. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair Tim Broad Street's a trading card artist. Yeah, so. he's a poster guy. Isn't yeah. he? All right. Over a year ago, the Punisher has targeted Anthony Pavla and his men, guilty of running coke and smack throughout the city. Nothing special. There's something odd about the night, however. For some reason, Pavla's men are chasing a hysterical girl through an alleyway with a butcher's knife and a hard-on. Oh no, that was Dirty Harry. Coincidentally, two of New York's finest, Parker and Miller, are having a minor argument about the political correctness of a recent joke Miller laughed at. Parker was not impressed by the racist nature of the gag. They stumble across the Punisher, putting one in the head of each of Pavla and his crew. This, along with the woman claiming that Pavla's men killed her baby, causes the Punisher pause. He doesn't kill cops, and he doesn't normally take strange women with him. The cops are no problem. He takes them down with minimal fuss and no serious damage. He then takes the woman and leaves. Elsewhere, the Punisher's actions have caught the attention of two underworld types, Christu and Vera. The Punisher goes after drug dealers. Pavlo was a drug dealer. No sweat, right? Wrong. The Punisher took the woman. This could be a problem. A call is made to Stu Weston, who used to be a spy, but is now a dirty cop. He manages to convince Captain Tom Price that in attacking two cops, the Punisher has gone too far. Price isn't convinced. As far as he's concerned, the Punisher is a godsend. Yes, says Weston. But what will happen to the career of the man who takes down the Punisher? At Frank Castle's apartment, the girl wakes up after a restless night and says her name is Vierica. She tells the Punisher a horrific story. A story of Christu and Vera, a village, an old man and her baby. The Punisher's blood boils. Uh, excellent noir-drenched opening as the Punisher goes about his daily routine, which is basically just shooting people. Yep. <laughs> I think you're not going to have as much to say about this as you did last week. Probably not. I can just tell by your demeanour. Uh, the two cops, Parker and Miller. Come on, you like the Parker and Miller stuff, surely? They, they were, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't like the guy cop. Did you actually not like Parker? No. Or is he Miller? I've no idea. Oh, they're interchangeable, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, he's Parker. Okay. And she's Miller. Fair enough. So there you go. Like Cagney and Lisa. I can never tell that apart. Yeah. Was Cagney Mary Beth? I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, doesn't really matter. Which one was Michael Weston's mum? Was that Mary Beth Lisa? I don't know. Yeah. I can, you know. He's Starsky. I'm Hutch. Uh, Parker and Miller I liked Parker and Miller I thought they were well drawn three dimensional characters from the get go Miller's a young woman there you go should have read my own notes yeah, shouldn't yeah. I apologetic and cowed as Parker her black partner reads of the riot act about Miller laughing at an off colour joke using derogatory language I think I've said what it is though without actually saying what it is yeah, yeah. Uh, he tells her he's stood up for her in a similar situation and he's let down by her which I, I thought this was well written it's typically Ennis Miller's not a racist, she's just simply caught out and under some peer pressure and laughed at an insulting gag. She feels regret and is shamed by it and it instantly makes us feel for both characters in a very during and relatable way. He wouldn't have got away with that outside of a Max boot, would he? Yeah. So I, quite, I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, Stu Westin is the person that Christu phones after they realise that the Punisher may very well be a problem, and he's on the take, which a lot of people are in the Punisher, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I'll remember him. <laughs> remember that from last week. The scene where he convinces Captain Price to go after the Punisher is a remarkable piece of manipulation, and as ever, uh, Ennis nails the dialogue and subtext of the scene. I just, um... 
wasn't overly taken in by by this first issue. Well, you know, no. see, I thought it was an excellent opening issue, but that's all it is. Yeah, it's an opening chapter. See, this is going to be interesting for us because we are being well. I am. I don't know what you're going to ultimately say, but there is a certain level of hypocrisy at play here, in that I am going to be perfectly fine with this story being written for the trade when I've just spent two weeks slagging off the Jeff Johns, John Romita stuff well, for being written for the trade. You, I think it all comes down to you're reading something and it feels like you are reading something. It doesn't take two minutes to flick through this as individual issues as it did with the Jeff Johns Superman. Yeah, and ultimately, I did read this as a trade. Yeah. So you can't divorce yourself from that. That's it. But the second thing, this is actually a good narrative. Yeah. The story holds together when you read it as a complete whole. I think yeah. ultimately that was our big disappointment with the other one, wasn't it? That mm. <laughs> will never be named again. <laughs> that it didn't hold up. It didn't, it didn't hold up over the course of a lifetime. Mm. It didn't hold up over the course of seven issues, let alone over the course of a lifetime. And as with most of Ennis's Punisher stories, Frank's not going to be the central character. Yeah. Because that's the stories that Ennis essentially wrote. The Punisher's a pretty immutable character. He doesn't really change, so he just tends to wander around, and the other characters are the ones that provide the story engine. As usual, Ennis gives us heroes and villains and everything in between. The cops are decent guys, there is corruption. The Manuel de Villarica are going to be the scum of the earth. It's pretty predictable stuff in this first initial chapter. We know how it's all going to pan out, yeah. but there's no denying that final page. When Villarica tells Frank her story and the art just closes in, on the skull over mm. a series of panels and the colouring turns blood red that this is going to go down particularly bloody. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good artistic choice in, by an artist who I honestly didn't rate much with this. You know, like Fernandez de Leonardo or Leonardo Fernandez. He's, he was good, but then bad. Like, some of these bits are alright, but his faces can look really quite ugly. It's a Max book. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I've got to be honest, I didn't, I don't mind his artwork at all. I honestly don't think Steve Dillon would have suited this. No. Maybe, ooh, ooh, who else has he worked with on um, Hellblazer? It does. Steve no. Pugh would have been no good for this. Derek Robertson would Derek Robertson right. probably could have killed it. Yeah, yeah you're right. Derek Robertson would have worked on this. But I don't, I don't dis I don't disagree with you about his art, but it suits the tone of the series. Well, it had a revolving, it had a different artist for every series, every story, even. Did it have a different artist for every arc, or did Fernando Leonardo, the Leonardo Fernandez come back every other arc? Because I know the second arc in this one, in this hardcover, we've got we've got here we've got the hardcover volume, whatever it is. Volume 3. The second story is by Golan Parlov, and the art's a lot more cartoony in that one, but yeah. that's the Barracuda story, mm. which is a little bit more cartoony and over the top anyway. Yeah. This is a very serious and relentlessly grim story. Yeah, it suits the story, it's just, it's quite ugly in a not good kind of way. Oh, see, I don't know, I don't agree. I mean, I don't love it or anything I don't I'm not going to instantly go out and tra- check down all this guy's artwork mm. but I think it suited this particular story 
Yeah. In my opinion. I think the colouring carried most of it. Yes, well, that's modern comics to a T, isn't it? Yes. The, the, the colouring's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, Dan Brown coloured this. Not the guy who wrote um, that Tom Hanks book. Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks isn't in a book. You know the one I mean. I've never read it or watched it, for that matter. Okay. So, but anyway, this, this Tom Hanks book that doesn't have Tom Hanks. Yeah, in the, it. That, that book that doesn't have Tom Hanks in it. Dan Brown wrote that book. Right. I forget what it's called. It was popular for about twenty minutes. Uh, all right, then we'll issue twenty-six. <laughs> Cover as an NYPD cop with the Punisher's skull motif reflected in his mirrored sunglasses. It has a big no entry sign over it. We're pretty much going to say the same about all of them. It looks like a photograph. It's not a bad piece of art in this particular case. Not particularly great cover. It's not a good cover. Does it? It's artistically. There's nothing wrong with it. I guess. But it doesn't strike. Well, artistically, what's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it on an artistic There's level. There's not. We're not looking at this like we did a couple of things that we covered recently. Going, what the hell's all going on with that anatomy? Yeah. Oh well. So anyway, all right. The cover's the cover. Viorica elaborate. She tells Frank that when she was 15, she was taken from her village to an apartment in the suburbs of Chesnau. She was raped constantly and beaten until she bled. Then she was expected to work. The beatings and abuse never stop until she finds out she's pregnant. An old man looks her over, touched her, bought her. The old man, she does not know his name, has a son, Christu, and there is a woman, Vera. They run the house. Christu lets her keep the baby and lets her see it once a week. Pavla was a client. She thanks Frank for killing him. She tells of how she escaped, found a social worker who has evidence against Christu on a computer. Vera finds the social worker and takes the baby. The baby is killed. That's why she went after Pavla, her only link to Vera and Christu. Elsewhere, the old man murders a rival gang, a move Christu thinks is overkill and bad for business. He tells Vera he's considering killing off his old man. At the police precinct, Parker and Miller are forced into a press conference to promote the police's new zero-tolerance policy against the Punisher. The Punisher himself has started working out how he can take down Christo. He backtracks from Pavla's club to the house Vierica told him about and prepares to launch his assault. However, he is made by the police and forced to run. The heat would cause Christo to close that house, leaving Frank with nothing but a dead end. He needs a new way in. Again, it's mostly just a collection of notes about individual scenes rather than notes on a page-by-page basis. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's just basically how I read this. Viorica talking about the indignity she suffered at the hands is interrupted by a scene of the old man wiping out a rival gang. Ennis sets up that to these people it's just business, which may be the most damning criticism of the whole story. Not the story of the people in the story that they really just don't care, do they? Mm-hmm. Um, how does Garth Ennis keep coming up with more and more scum of the earth to write stories about? I have no idea. He just reads a paper. Takes a stroll down New York. <laughs> and reads a paper. Yeah. Which is the news. I thought, this was, I thought this was better. Well, this is just violence. I thought this was good stuff, and I feel a little bit weird saying that. Why? What was what was particularly... What's his name about this one? I uh, mean, the story amps up significantly. I, I, I don't know, it's just... Uh, saying that I enjoyed reading a story that contained the content that this story did might... Enjoy might not be the word. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Grateful for reading, 
No, no. Uh. No. I think, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't know that I enjoyed it, but it's gripping. It's like, you know what this is? This is a miserable John Sim drama that he makes for GBBC2, isn't it? <laughs> That's what this is. Yeah, yeah. And yet you can't not watch it because it's well written and it's well acted and it's put together exceptionally well and all of that stuff. But that's what it is. It's that kind of it's that kind of thing. John Sim will be in it, and there'll be no laughs whatsoever, <laughs> and it'll be grim from beginning to end. You'll feel like you've just been watching a twenty-hour yeah episode. Yeah, he probably has done a, a film about child trafficking, knowing John Sim. Probably, yeah. So uh, yeah, so you know, I, 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 I think we're going to be hard pressed to say enjoy is a word that we'd associate with this story. With whilst with the caveat that it is gripping as hell. Yeah, yeah I, I think I did enjoy reading it yeah I enjoy it when the Punisher just gets really really pissed off with it yeah that's when it starts getting what there is a, a certain excuse where to an extent you need stories and characters like this to justify the acts of the protagonist yeah which which is what we've said before. Yeah. You need to make the people that he's going up against totally represent reprehensible and utter utter scumbags. Mm. Real, you know, examples of the worst of humanity. Yeah. For the Punisher to just go away and blow their heads off and for you as an audience member to go, Yes well, Yeah, David Hayter said who wrote the first two X Men films. He said one of the main problems he had with the first one was writing Wolverine. And that the scene where he goes berserker rage... That in X-Men 2? Yeah, when the house gets raided in X-Men 2 was just their way of enjoying writing Wolverine. Because in the first one, Wolverine couldn't kill anyone. He couldn't be Wolverine. Yeah. So in the second one, they wrote that scene specifically because the people who raid the house are wearing helmets so you don't see the masks. That's a tick in the box. See the faces. Exactly, yeah. Uh, secondly... The harming children. That's the second tick in the box. Which you've got here as well. Yeah. So to have these faceless bad guys harm the personification of innocence, hmm. you can let Wolverine do whatever whatever he wants. Because that's the closest they've come to to actually having him do Berserker Rage in yeah. any of the films anyway. Hmm. And I only even partially like X-Men 2. X-Men First Class is great. Okay. But, you know. We're not an X-Men podcast. Uh, Parker and Miller are rapidly becoming my favourite characters in the story. Because in this issue, they get caught in a situation completely out of their control. They're completely over their heads and at the beck and call of people with a political axe to grind. All of whom are being manipulated and don't know it. Yeah. By, by Weston. Oddly, the Punisher manages to piece it all together when he starts musing on what an incredible coincidence it is that the police would turn against him just as he gets involved with Krista. Yeah. Which I thought was quite clever. I mean, granted, he's got information that the police don't have, but I, I liked it, like in the Stephen Grant one, where yeah. you saw that the Punisher was actually a smart tactician mm. as well, and that he's like, yeah, so this leads me to think there's corruption in the police force then. Yeah. I mean, he obviously knows there's corruption in the police force. Mm-hmm. But he's never been after the police. I I kind of liked what happened to them. I just didn't really like them as characters. Did you not? Something about them just... I didn't quite connect with them. Oh, see, I quite liked them. I quite liked them a great deal. Whereas I found it funny what was happening to the police force and happening to them. You thought that was funny? It was pretty funny. <laughs> 
Um, not as funny as the cop that makes him outside the, the prostitution house just before he's going to go in and, and bow everyone down. He tries to chase the Punisher. He falls over a fence, crashes down, smashes his head on a train track, and then the Punisher just walks up to him and says, Time for the sustained and brutal beating. Unless someone's full of And then just walks off. How is that not as funny? That's funnier. Oh, right, right. Did I say not as funny? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought I said something that is funnier. So that was, I quite like that. I, I thought that was hysterical. Yeah. Because yeah. basically he's just saying to this cop, yeah, it, it's, it's crap. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you. You know that. You know I'm one of the good guys. Um, you see episode two, issue two, whatever you want to call it, and this is, is really dealing with delivering a, an uncomfortable story. Yeah. There's an awful lot of stuff in this that are normally taboo in mainstream comics, and as usually, completely nails it. That's kind of what's good about it. Yes, that's what's brilliant about you, it. It's it's weird how people enjoy things they shouldn't enjoy a lot more than things they should. Um, I, I tell, well, that's what I said to you. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it, but there are certain elements of this story that this is kind of what the max imprint should have been, whereas it never, ever seemed to live up to its potential, did it? Yeah. Even, even Alias, which is by far one of the best things that Bendis has done, mm. even that just felt like, oh, it's an opportunity to say shit. Flip side of that, though, I don't think it's a story they could have told in the Marvel... No, they, they couldn't, and it got better as it went along, but certainly the initial issues, it just felt, oh, look, Bendis can swear, how mature. Yeah. Whereas this, the entire theme of this is just not suitable for mainstream comic books. The old man's casual racism. You, you, they wouldn't be even brave enough to touch upon that in a regular comic book nowadays. No. Whereas Ennis is brave enough to it, and do it in such a way that says, hey, look, he's a scumbag. So of course he's a racist. Yeah, you, you need level uh, a level of maturity to write it. Uh, yeah, not only to. Read well, that's it. that's the thing with Garth Ennis though that sometimes really annoys me. Yeah. That how can the same guy who writes this be the same guy who wrote Adventures of the Rifle Brigade? Oh yeah. Which was just appallingly bad, wasn't it? Even as a farce, it didn't work. Mm. And it's just gotten to the point. I prefer the Ennis of War stories, and this. The Punisher is a wasp. Yeah, and this than the the Ennis who just texts the piss. Yeah, yeah. I find that a much more interesting writer. Viorica's description of her treatment at the hands of Vera and Christo mm. is appalling, and he does it all in the dialogue. Yeah, because the artist is just basically drawing a talking head, yeah. which again kind of makes me a bit hypocritical because I do nothing but criticise when Bendis does this. With this kind of thing, you... Um, is, think... it, is it not more a case of then, therefore, it's if the writer is engaging me in the story, even one as horrific as this one, then it, all those tropes that I throw out as being awful suddenly aren't awful anymore because they're in the hands of a writer who knows what he's doing. Well, even with the imagery that they have in this, I think drawing what she describes might be... That may have been a bit too far. Push it a little bit further. Yeah, no, you're probably right. And as well as that, having her talk about it and you not see it makes it... Makes more, it worse. Well, it makes it more powerful than seeing it. Yeah, because essentially you're in the same position as the Punisher. Yeah. You're getting angry as he does. If you're any kind of decent human being, anyway. Which is why um, the stories are about Punisher. The Punisher's just 
us, he's our way of viewing the yeah. people. And also, a real-life Punisher would be morally bankrupt. Yeah. So you put him up against people who are even more morally bankrupt mm. than he is, and he suddenly comes off as a good guy. Yeah. I mean, the, the bit in the last issue about the police chief explaining, I think we should give him a goddamn medal. Mm. Because he's doing our job for us in ways that we can't do it. Mm-hmm. So all of that was pretty damn good. Parker and Miller's discomfort was funny. Yeah. Where they forced them to wear the neck brace. And she's like, I can't believe that this is happening. And then, you know, the Punisher's plans to bring the place crashing down around their ears fails miserably. Because he gets made by the police, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. In many ways. I like that the Punisher messes up. The Punisher is very human in this, which is why I really like him. Mm. He's not some kind of wired android who was in Spider-Man who hadn't slept in 40 hours. Mm. He's uh, and had everything according to plan. He's, he's, he's human. Yeah, and his plan gets cocked up Yeah, in this issue. Issue 27, the Punisher opens fire against a white background. That's the cover. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, artistically there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a bit dull. It's a bit John Cassidy-ish, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Even John Cassidy could pull off the. I don't know. Is, is that on Star Wars? You you were looking at Star Wars number three the other day, going, "This is awful." Yeah. Weren't you? Yeah. So. But, mm. uh, the Punisher's new investigative techniques for finding out where he needs to go next. Screw over a few pimps and see what happens. Bears no fruit until he hits upon a new way in. He attends a seminar on teenage girl trafficking by Jennifer Cook, a Viorica's social worker. Jen blames herself for what happened with Viorica, which is fortunate because Viorica blames her. And being confronted with the Punisher doesn't exactly fill her with joy, but reluctantly she realises he is the lesser of two evils, and she hands over her files on the old man and Kristen. Elsewhere, a third cop that Frank allegedly beats, the guy from the train tracks that we just talked about, is forced into a press conference and confides as such in Parker and Miller, and the duo start to wonder about Stu Weston's involvement. Parker and Miller later find themselves the victims of a sustained and brutal beating, but not at the hands of the Punisher, rather the homophobic fellow cops. Miller starts to think this is all very convenient timing. Captain Price also has his issues with Weston. Who knew the Punisher had so many fans in the police department? Price now needs results. Frank pours over the files provided. A bloody historical account of Serb militia forces and was led by Christu and Tiburiu Bulat. A few of these villages were missing the young girls when a head count was done. The Bulats had taken the girls west when NATO had made things difficult for them in the Middle East. Slavery, after all, is more profitable than massacre. Cook has also located another den thanks to a girl she managed to liberate. Frank muses over his next course of action. The things he'd have to do to break such men would have to be... extreme. Uh, Another typical nice line in black humour from Ennis when the Punisher confronts Jennifer Cook, where he just appears behind her. Yeah. Which is a nice touch, Jen Cook. Yeah. Oh, don't kill me. And, uh, why? What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> that was hysterically funny. Like, do I have to kill you? Have you done something I should kill you for? Which was great. Uh, and the, the love of the next I know you're the Punisher. Everybody knows I'm the Punisher. Mm. <laughs> 
This was funny! Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was very, very, very funny. I find it funny as well how, how Ennis had an excuse to be a bit too preachy because he was writing it through a character yes. who was a bit too preachy. Oh, see, what was the thing? I didn't actually find it preachy. I really didn't. And I know I should have done. Yeah. Because essentially it's a character in a story basically saying to me, the reader, this is bad, okay? <laughs> But he does it really, really well, and I don't think anyone would argue that this isn't bad. Um, I think when you're writing an entire story about what she's talking about and handling it better, I thought it was a little bit too... On the nose. Too on the nose to be a part of a story that is telling us what she's saying, but in a more... So by telling it through Viorica... Yeah. You bought it a lot more than basically having Jennifer Cook stand in front of us and lecture us. Yeah, yeah. Alright, fair enough. See, I didn't have a problem with it because she is standing up and lecturing. It's more... Yeah, yeah, there is that. But I think the 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 content, uh, the, the problem, essentially, is a lot more natural through the words of a victim than a lecturer. The, the, than... Uh, um, an unexperienced lecturer, even. I know, but she's very good at what she's trying to do, which is basically just expose what's happening. I mean, she has a line later on where she says, you know, the only way you can get this to mean anything to men is to say, what if this was your daughter? Yeah. What if this was your wife? What if this was your sister? And she actually has that line later. And there's a kind of a part of me that was a little bit taken aback when, she, when I read it, because she's right. Mm, yeah. It isn't something you think about until they say, what if it was your sister? What if it was my daughter? Mm. And you're like, I'd rip their heads off and piss down their neck. And you're kind of like you would. Yeah. But I'll admit I had a certain... Uh, I was kind of biased against her. Because reading this and going into it, I was kind of like, but you were part of the problem, though. Yeah, well, ultimately you'll find out, though, that she feels just as guilty about what happened to Viorica. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing about this story as well that I thought Ennis did really well. In a less predictable... In a more predictable writer's hands, Jennifer Cook and Viorica would have had a scene together at the end where they made their peace with each other. Mm. You know, a big kumbaya moment. That doesn't happen. Viorica never speaks to Jennifer Cook again. So basically, she's left blaming her for what happened to her baby. And Jennifer Cook's left blaming herself for what happened to her baby. Mm. So both of them, there's never any closure on that. And I liked that. I liked that there was a loose end there that he left dangling. He never tugged on it and made it a predictable preachy ending where everyone got together. So I I thought she was alright. I didn't dislike her at all. I get what you're saying about the scene where she basically just lectures us. Yeah. But I didn't have a problem but with it. If you can't lecture at a lecture, then we'll come to exact amount. There's a reason it's called a lecture. <laughs> okay. Uh, the brutal beatdown on Parker and Miller was horrific, as it needed to be. Unlike the opening of the story, Parker's got a partner's back Yeah. when this obnoxious asshole comes in. And uh, So are we, are we to imply from this that Parker is also gay? Or is he Miller? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> She's Parker. Right. No, he's Parker, she's Miller. Okay. Yeah. So, is he gay as well? Yeah. Alright, so we're ticking all the boxes. Well, we we, we knew that in the first issue. Yeah, from the conversation. For some reason, when I was reading it, I didn't get it from the first issue. I got that the sustained attack on him in the first issue was racial 
not homophobic. Well, it started as racial and then homophobic. Yeah. It started as homophobic and then racial and he said that, but I thought it was homophobic. Yeah. But, I don't, so, but again, it's one of them. It's all in how it's handled, isn't it? Yeah. It's not made a big deal of in the story. And his partner doesn't care. Mm. Which is how it should be. The only time it's made a big deal of is when he gets beaten up by somebody who should be his colleague for being gay. Yeah. And again, Ennis is touching on stuff here that you probably just wouldn't go near in a, a mainstream comic anymore. Mm-hmm. Where we're not supposed to acknowledge that this stuff happens and we still need to stamp it out. Whereas here, it's it's really horrific. I did like that Marcy goes down with him. Yeah. But then still yells at them that there were seven on two of us. I liked that they lost the fight. Yeah, well, they totally lost the fight. But I really like that Parker's on the floor and he goes, I wish you'd just shut up before yeah. we get beaten up anymore. Which was funny. Mm. Really, really black piece of humour in a bit that, you know, shouldn't have been funny at all. No. Which is what Ernie does best. That liked how they, they, they kind of got beaten, though. Not in the sense that I like that they got beaten, but in the fact that I liked that they weren't, you know, they weren't really good and they didn't win the fight they got. Yeah, they got beaten. They got their asses out of them. They got the crap kicked out of them because they were threatening to say something. Mm. That's what this was about. Yeah. Is that he just uses the the gay bashing thing as just subtext for, to hide what it's really about, Mm. which is what she starts putting together after this, isn't it? Yeah. So essentially they all end up on the same page as the Punisher, but via different routes, Mm. which works. Um, building slowly to what is going to be an inevitable conclusion, Ennis does what he does best, sets up people that are far worse than Frank could ever hope to be, and then just let him loose. Uh, this issue shows Frank's tenacity, he's been working on this for a while now, not rushing it, instead biding his time and waiting for his opening. Ennis's grasp of character is exemplary. Jennifer Cook knows she's made a deal with the devil and it makes her physically sick. The old man thinks the Punisher would be quite the challenge to kill. Christy wants nothing to do with it because it's just bad for business to hunt the Punisher, uh, which sets the stage for his coup. The Parker Miller story moves forward. Like I said, as Miller starts putting it all together and that Weston is involved in it in some way. Everything I think is wrong with modern comics is in this issue. It's in no way new reader-friendly. It's in no way an issue of on itself. It's trade writing. But this is done perfectly. Is it trade writing, though? Yeah. Is it writing for the trade? Or is it writing uh, a six-issue story? It's writing for the collected edition. And I'm under no illusion that that's what this is. He's not writing this for you to just read part three, have a satisfying read and go uh, go about your business. But why would you read part three? Exactly. So you're appealing to an audience that is already there to buy the complete series. So you're writing for the inevitable trade paperback. Yeah, but I do think there's a difference between writing a six-issue story arc and writing for a trade. Really? What's the difference? I don't think he's writing for the trader because there's too much there is too much content per issue for him to be writing for the trader. Do you really think that if you'd read this on an issue by issue basis you'd think there's too much content per issue? Do you? Cuz I don't. I think there is the right amount of content per issue which is, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know that I agree. Because I, I think Ennis has been writing for the collected edition for some time. 
I mean, he wasn't doing it on Preacher, because at that point the trade paperback wasn't as all-pervasive yeah. as it is now. But I think certainly by the time he, he went over and did some stuff at Marvel, he's writing for the trade. He's writing for the collected edition. He's not writing yeah. this. And therefore, if you want to email in and call me a hypocrite, feel free. <laughs> because this worked. Well, I read this altogether as one chunk. Yeah. And I, I felt pretty worn out after... Oh, yeah. Issue. But by, by the end of it, I was, you know... No, I think that's a good description of it. You do feel worn out after each I, chapter. I was about ready to drop toaster in the bath. <laughs> oh, I wasn't that bad. Because <laughs> the punishment got... Well, we'll get, though. Well, <laughs> Issue 28 covers an overhead shot of Frank reading up on human anatomy whilst sharpening his knives. Which is funny when you know how it all pans out at the end of this issue. And I even like that he's reading basic human anatomy in the library. Is it in the library or a bookstore? Library, I think. It's like a library or a bookstore. Excuse me, sir, do you need any help finding anything today? No. Yeah, I thought that opening splash page was a lot funnier than the cover. Did you? Yeah. Because he's just reading basic human anatomy. It's more subtle. Yes. Because it doesn't pay off till the end of the issue why he's even reading this. Mm. So I liked that. I thought that was brilliantly funny. Christu's hit on his father does not go well, with Tibereo not only surviving but knowing full well who ordered the hit. Meanwhile, the Punisher has been watching the dead. Lots of men, lots of firepower. He'd think they were expecting trouble. Frank slips in and poisons the food. With everyone sick, he systematically eliminates all of Christu's men and calls Jennifer Cook about the girls. She arrives sometime later and Frank loads the girls up into his van for her. He then takes Christu for himself. Jen pulls over to call someone for help, but she's stopped by Parker and Miller, who are fed up with being pushed around. In the woods, Frank has had to be creative. To get Christu to talk, he has to show him he means business. To that end, Christu is tied to a clump of trees, his intestines draped amongst the branches. He's still alive, and if he tells the Punisher everything, he may stay that way. Although I wouldn't bet money on it. The opening sees the old man casually wipe out all the young punks in a very brutal and fast manner. There are all these people that were sent to kill him. He puts the boiling kettle over his face. He does. That was a bit much, wasn't it? Is it wrong that I kind of... What is yes. it like? If you're going to start a, qu- a question with it, is it wrong? The answer is inevitably yes. I thought he was a good character to read. He was. He was an exceptionally good bad guy. Yeah. And Ennis is very, very good at creating good... Ba- Barracuda Yeah, is a prime example. He, he wasn't like a stereotypical bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy who had any funny moments at all. No, no levity with this man. He was a bad guy that didn't tell James Bond his master plan. No. He wouldn't. He would have just shot him in the head. Yeah. Wouldn't he? Yeah, he ought, no, I don't disagree that he's a good bad guy. Mm. Uh, he's, he's, you know, morally reprehensible. Oh, those, bad guy. those Eastern Europeans. <laughs> they, they, they train him hard doing squats in tracksuits. <laughs> uh, and he knows Chris who's behind it. Yeah. Uh, unlike the narration in the strips that Michael pointed out last week, that was often just rehashing the plot, here Ennis uses it to get in Frank's head and also explain his thought processes. It's also very, very funny. Mm. Problem is the same as last time. Firefight in a brothel, innocence mixed up with scum. I'd given it quite a bit of thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do wonder, do you think he knows he's being funny? Everybody knows I'm the Punisher. I don't um, think he does. I think there's a little bit of it in this one. What, that he knows he's he's been slightly yeah. funny? With the Chuck Dixon one last time, I thought, no, he's, he's serious. Yeah. 
The, the reason why... Oh, I don't know, the break, the arm break thing was funny. Yeah, but... It'll I, be a slap by the time my arm bruises. I, I think he read more like, what's his face in her plane? His deadpan delivery was... <laughs> Leslie Nielsen yeah, as the Punisher. His, his serious deadpan delivery was what made it funny. But here, like I said, he's a lot more human. Yeah, I think he knows when he's being funny. Fair enough. Uh, the reason Frank has been brushing up on human anatomy becomes clear on the final page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's tied Chris to, to a tree. Then cut out all of his intestines, leaving them attached, yeah. and then draped them all over the trees like tinsel on a Christmas tree. And I shouldn't have found this. <laughs> this is what I don't think I should have found funny. I don't know. I think I think this was this was pretty funny. I mean, I look funny. You should know that this is survivable. It looks bad, but it doesn't have to kill you. But don't take too long to make up your mind. <laughs> And Chris to opens his eyes. Oh no, he lifts the blindfold off him, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, only Garth Ennis could do this and make it funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't he? Um, I, you know. I, I, I liked how before he, he cleverly, stealthily took out all the guys. Yeah, oh yeah, how he does that is brilliant. He sneaks into the house and poisons the food. So that when he's just walking around the room, they're all just crippled with bellyache and he just shoots them. Yeah. Which is hysterical. Apart from the one who didn't eat. And he's like, not hungry. Allergies. Blam. <laughs> funny. Yeah. Funny, 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 funny stuff. Uh, basically, bringing all the elements together. Parker and Miller are brought into the orbit of Jane Cook. The Punisher has a face-to-face with Christu just as he's ordered the hit on his father. It's basically just ramping up the tension. Yes. It's the middle chapter of the story, isn't it? Mm. Basically, is what it is. Do you like it? Uh, yeah. I think it's really picking up at this point, isn't I, it? I liked the, the raid on the house. Uh, yeah. In was... the sense that it wasn't a raid. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Punisher walks in going back. It was, the bit, it was the middle of the Terminator. Right, okay. The Terminator of the police station. Yeah. You remember? It's that bit where it's blam, 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 blam. Only all the police officers are asleep. Yeah. So it's even funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Issue 29, the cover of The Punisher waits at Pier 12. I don't envy who he's waiting for. He's basically crouched in a stirwell, isn't he? He looks like he is squatting in a tracksuit. Yeah, because at the moment he's in the short sleeve Punisher shirt that you can buy from uh, HMV. And get free from game. And get free from game, yeah, that's fair enough. Chris do bleeds out. <laughs> there you go. The Punisher proposed to leave when Tibaru shows up with an army of men looking for vengeance on the attack on his life. Having just thrown all of Christu's weapons into the river, the Punisher has an unexpected fight on his hands. He kills as many as he can, but is overwhelmed and, having taken a bullet, dives into the river to make his escape. He calls Jen Cook to tell her she needs to get out, like the Terminator. Get out! Jen, however, is being told by Parker to arrange a meet with the Punisher, something Miller is having trouble going along with. Tibaru, meantime, has dropped by Vera's office. He can't be sure she was in on it, and thus leaves two guards. The Punisher arranges to meet at a diner. Not being a stupid man, he quickly realises Parker and Miller are there and that they are alone. Parker and Miller had no idea of the Punisher's involvement until Cook spilled the beans. The men they were following were probably going to kill Jen as she knew too much. Parker tells the Punisher that Weston has to be those. They won't say a thing about the Boulats. After all, Weston would just inform them the minute an investigation was launched. But Weston is a police officer. They won't let the Punisher kill him, although if we find some evidence of Weston's involvement, that'd be great. 
The Punisher hits Vera, literally. He throws her around the office, busting her up real bad against the shatterproof glass. He explains that Christu told him everything. The girls had to be shown who was boss, raped them to break them. They could do nothing, as Vera and Christu were more powerful. They were stronger, so they could do whatever they wanted. Vera struggles to leave, as the Punisher cracks the safe and steals a file on Weston. The Punisher grabs Vera. This is how it works, right? You can't stop me. I'm stronger than you, so I can do anything I want. He throws Vera at the window, the glass holding, but the frame shatters. She falls 30 floors to her death. Frank turns to leave. It's been a long time since he's hated anyone quite this much. Uh, interestingly, Ennis completely skips the torture of Christo, because basically we just find out later that Christo spilled his guts. Uh, yeah, literally. Uh, the opening is a treat. We're used to seeing Frank in charge. Like you say, he's used to having a plan and knowing what's going on. Uh, here, the old man shows up, and it's a complete surprise to him. Mm. And he very nearly didn't get out of this alive. No. That was a, a good gunfight. Yes, it was an excellent pretty gunfight. Excellent pretty gunfight? It's not pretty at all. <laughs> it's an excellent gunfight, though. Yeah, it was a good opening, this. Because, yeah. again, it was like you pointed out, this something he hadn't planned for. Mm. And couldn't possibly have planned for. And lost. Because he didn't know what's going on with Christo and the old man, did he? No. So there's an element at play, though, that the Punisher didn't know about. Which I liked, again, it emphasised the humanity of Frank Castle. Um, the dinner scene, sorry, the diner scene was hysterically funny. Ennis is excellent at dialogue at the best of times. And this scene just crackled with wit. Uh, Frank is snarky. Parker's got it all worked out. Miller hates it, but doesn't have a choice. And poor Jen Cook's just, just caught in the middle. <laughs> Parker says to him, you and me, wherever we like. And punishes, I'm not really dating right now. Yeah. <laughs> May as well start at the beginning. Coffee? And he's casually orders a coffee. Yeah. This is, this was really funny. The, the, you've got no backup. What do you mean? Well, there's no backup outside. Why do you think I walk right in here? <laughs> you, you're on your own. Yeah. So, you know, tell me everything you need to know. And I love his thing in the middle. So, uh, this is a deal now? I'm supposed to make a deal with you? When they say you're not allowed to kill Weston. And he's, he's kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough, whatever. Um, heavily detailed instalment compared to some of the others and this is perfect pacing brings all the story points and characters together with all the different parts of the story they all know dovetailing magnificently when they show their intel the Punisher hysterical in the scene in the diner implacable in the opening where he's caught by surprise but never unprepared but it's the ending where the story kicks up a notch. It's been a slow burn for five issues, with Frank basically taking this one cell because of Viarica. But the conclusion, where he does to Vera what she's been doing to the girls, does, despite the really quite brutal beating she takes, make for a cathartic ending. Frank is seriously annoyed, and we know that this isn't going to end well for the old man, although I'll be honest with you, I didn't quite see the ending coming. Yeah, exactly what it is he does to him. I, I really, I, I really like this ending. What we just chucks her out. I like that this shatterproof glass and he just keeps throwing her at her. Yeah, and throwing her at it and saying, "Yeah, the glass ain't gonna break. Your you'll, bones you'll will break, break for the glass. Yeah, but the frame, <laughs> something else." Yeah, no, I, I really like this, and it's one of those things where 
they, they play a lot with the reader being uncomfortable. Mm. You know, like, what they do with, with the girls, you're uncomfortable with Yeah. Them. What they do with the, the gangbangers, simply because of their skin colour. You're uncomfortable. But what he does to this... Mm. You know what he does to Vera, and the the way it's written as well, though, where it keeps cutting back to the reasons why he's doing this. Yeah, that she's scum. It kind of throws all that you're not hitting a woman anymore out the window in a way that you're kind of rooting for the Punisher to. Yes, well, that's this goes back to what we've said all the way through it, isn't it? It's that he has to be nicer than the people he's going up against. And the only way you can achieve that is by making her utter scum. Yeah. And this isn't a comedy villain like no. um, the old woman in Punisher, whatever it was called, Welcome Back Frank. Yeah, yeah. She was a comedy villain. Yes. She, that was a black comedy. This is, you know, this is what you've been doing the girls. Yeah, and yeah, that, that's a part of it as well when it's nice to see the bad guys get equal treatment to the victims even when it's even when essentially what you've got here is just a man beating on a woman yeah yeah which normally would like we'd be up in arms against but he's yeah but you know what she's been doing to people and when she begs him at the end we're just doing business Mm. and Frank's like so what all that counts is you can't stop me that's what you tell them, isn't it? Yeah. You can't stop me. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I can do whatever I want. And he chucks her out the window. And it's... The, the thing with it as well is... Frank's not hitting her. No, he doesn't hit her, does the, he? The only, that's, that's... Yeah, that's worth pointing out. When, when you break it down, the only harm he's doing to her is just throwing her into a window. He's not hitting her. <laughs> it's what you're arguing is the window's doing the harm. Uh, uh, yes, my lord, uh, Your Honour. <laughs> I think you're on dubious moral ground there, dude. No, but you, you know what I mean. He's not hitting her. No, you're right. It isn't a man punching a woman in the face, yeah. which I would probably have had more problems with. He's 100% using surroundings. Yes, and, you know... But you, you still... This is the point, isn't it? You're, you're like... Who would argue she doesn't deserve it? Yeah. And isn't it, this is what we've talked about, there's some kind of cathartic joy here to a character who will do to these kind of people what most morally centred people would like to be done to them, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Yeah. It's, there's a, there is a part of you that thinks that sometimes we're a little too kind to people like this. Hmm. I'm not saying I'm proud of the fact that I think that. But if when it's a fictional character... But that's what I mean. Or, you get a cathartic joy from fiction. Yeah. Which isn't to say I would like a real man to throw a woman around like this and chuck her through a window. Yeah. The old man. I'm, I'm down with what happens to him. Uh, issue 30, close-up of the Punisher. We don't see his face with a can of gasoline in his hands. Pretty much it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You want more? He's wearing a leather jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you go. Frank tells Viorica that by the end of the day, she'll be free to leave. Parker and Miller disagree about how they are dealing with this. Doesn't matter. Frank never calls. Miller heads over to Jane Cook and they talk about this business. The next day, Miller quits the force to work with Cook. And what of the Punisher and the Bullats? Well, Frank just watches and waits. The old man is nowhere near as careful as his son, and pretty soon, Frank has a handle on the operation again. 
He plants his surprises and waits. Storming another of their houses, the Punisher systematically exterminates all of the old man's men. But Tiburu himself, well, the Punisher wants him alive. He knows it'll make no difference. He may as well try to stop the tide from coming in. But he could give them a fright. Maybe stop them coming here. With the old man now in his cur, the Punisher calls Stu Weston. The Punisher tells him he will give him the file he took from Vera if he'll deliver a package to the Balat's contacts in Moldova. Weston looks around. He sees the old man tied to a chair and a digital camera pointed directly at him. What package? Weston asks. The Punisher douses the old man with gasoline. He steps in front of the camera and says, Don't come back here, before throwing a lighter at the old man. Before Weston's eyes and being filmed for prosperity, the old man burns. Frank then pops the DVD out of the recorder and hands it to Weston. Here's the package. Weston is never seen from again. Jen Cook refuses to show any more intel. From time to time, whenever the Punisher gets intel on a new trafficking group, he shuts them down. Of the girls he rescued, three are doing fine. The rest either disappeared, went back to prostitution, or are dead. And Viorica, the girl who started all this, she has good days and bad days. All she can do is live with what life they left her. Uh, it's a shame Parker and Miller actually end up splitting up, because I thought they were actually a pretty good team. Uh, this one's like, pretty much action all the way, isn't it? Yeah. As uh, the Punisher just wipes out the entire group. Yeah. And even here, he's beating up an old man, and again, there's a part of you that's getting a cathartic satisfaction from what he's doing. Well, they, they build up the level of bad guy throughout the issues. Yeah, and as you've pointed out, he is an exceptionally good bad guy. Yeah. And... As has been pointed out throughout the entire story as well, he's not as careful as Christie. Yeah. So he's sloppy and clumsy because he's a nutter. Yeah. Basically. It's like a, a Mortal Kombat tower <laughs> when every bad guy you fight is stronger than the last. And this, every criminal that he kills is badder than the last. Than the last one. Well, Christie wasn't... I mean, Christie was a bad guy as well, but ultimately the Punisher took him out with no problems. Yeah. The old man actually gives him more problem. Because of using innocence. Mm, but, you know... He still wipes him out. Ennis lays us a lot of facts about human trafficking. I actually never thought that it felt sanctimonious or preachy in this issue. Certainly, in comparison to the earlier lecture scene, yeah. I actually thought this was this actually worked out quite well. Um, Cook's descriptions of the the trafficking atrocities to Parker are actually quite stomach turning, which goes into what you say about this not being a story you enjoy. Mm. as so much as a story that you're like, uh, oh, did I enjoy that? It was good. Yeah. But I'm not sure about it. Well, that's, you know, maybe you should feel that at the end of this. Mm. It's not a comfortable subject. I applaud him for addressing it in a comic book like that. Yeah. I think he did it. I mean, again, hypocrisy. I'm the guy who says you shouldn't go anywhere near this yeah. in superhero comics. It's not a superhero. He's not a superhero, is he? And again, the, you know, the, the point of this story... You have Superman interfering with world affairs, you know in the real world it's going to make no difference. But the fact that this is going to make no difference is part of the story. Because you mentioned a lot of that, things aren't going to change, at least not in the long run. Yeah. I mean, by Frank's own admission, I mean, this is satisfying, but it's ultimately bittersweet, because by Frank's own admission, he's not going to make any difference to the real world problem that this is. Yeah. And so he builds that into the story by having him admit, I'm only closing down this one group. I can't do everything. 
I'm ultimately not going to make that big of a difference. I'll burn this guy on camera, and they may think twice about coming to New York, but what? I can't stop it everywhere. Yeah. And he actually, he actually addressed that issue in the story, because it's a real-world problem, and a fictional character cannot solve real-world problems. That's up to us. It's mm-hmm. our job to stop this from happening. And I think to stop this from happening, we have to be a lot harsher than we're being. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. But in the confines of the story, it's every little victory, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it gives us a cathartic release, a feeling that somebody has taken these scum out on their own terms. It's a revenge fantasy. Yeah. Is what it is. And it works exceptionally well on that level. And if you feel a little bit uncomfortable after reading it, and if you maybe want to donate some money to charities that do something about this, then so much the better. It is better to be uncomfortable after reading this than to not feel anything. Yeah, because it's not handled in a wishy-washy black-and-white way. Because the Punisher is a very black-and-white character. There are lots of greys to this. Yes, there's, there's an awful lot of it. And it's what we said last week about to sow the seeds of death day, when you don't deal with the moral complexity of the character, when you don't hang around in the grey areas, he's not as interesting. You turn him into more of a comedy figure when he's black and white. Yeah. I mean, it's... Arguably, this is the bleakest of Ennis' Punisher storylines. Yeah, after after I read this, I thought, you know, there could have been some better ones you could have picked, because it's certainly... No, well, that's why I picked it. I picked it deliberately. It's a real-world issue. I picked it deliberately because I've railed against them addressing stuff like this in superhero comics before. So I deliberately picked it to highlight that it can be done well. I'd have picked the Nick Fury one, but yeah, that's those are my reasons. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I also picked it because, you know, it's hard-hitting and grim and not necessarily enjoyable. Ennis is a brutally fearless writer. Yeah, and um, my, my favourite... Of it, honestly, was the ending. Yeah, but we couldn't cover the ending because the ending is basically a culmination of everything he builds up throughout the entire run. No, I mean... uh, uh, Oh, the ending of this issue. The last two pages of Eureka, you mean? Yeah, because it ultimately ends on a loss. Yeah. The Punisher can kill... He's wiped out Crystal, he's killed the old man, he's thrown Vera out of a building. But he can't bring her baby back. He can't bring her baby back. And it's... You don't... There's, there's no but, dialogue or anything in, in this. No, she's working as a waitress and she sees two mums with the babies and she goes outside and cries and the world around her just ignores her. Yeah. It's, it, I'll, I'll be honest. First glance at that page, I was like, why have they just ended on the out exterior? And they're like, oh yeah, she's... She's outside crying, up. yeah. It is... It's, it's brutal and... And he, what's, he gets away with stuff here other writers couldn't couldn't pull off. I think he gets away with something that he also couldn't pull off. But he does. Like you were saying earlier, he's, he's two completely different yes. writers. Yes, he is. He is the, the, the definition of comic book bipolar. Yeah. But this is something that, if he'd have made the slightest error... If he'd have made the, you know... If he'd have made one storytelling miscalculation... Exactly. This could have thrown it yeah, off. It either wouldn't have worked... Yeah. Or you'd have been left with a sour taste in your mouth... Or you'd have thought that, you know, we shouldn't be addressing this in a comic because this didn't work. It's like, you can only do something like this if you are 100% dedicated to it. Absolutely. And he is. And yeah. he pulls it off. 
It's a minor miracle that he pulls this off. But it's nice as well that these last two pages, despite how bleak they are, they're still brighter. The colour scheme is a lot brighter than the last, the rest of it. Well, the last line, all she can do is live with what life they've left her. But he's given her life back. But he's not. She can, slowly, over time, Yeah. she can not move on, because you don't move on from the death of a child. But she can, you know, she, she can go about living her life. Yeah. She wouldn't have had that otherwise. So you can ultimately look at it as hopeful. Yeah. In a way. But on the flip side of that, it's like, she can adapt, but she can't accept. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, maybe move on's the wrong phrase. Yeah. Because you, you don't... I, ca- I can't imagine moving on from that. I can't imagine Mark Miller would have done as good a job with this. Yeah. It would have just been smart-ass dialogue. And even Warren Ellis... Maybe Warren Ellis could have pulled it off. Mm. Do you think? No. Warren Ellis is... Even when he's really good, he's still cynical. Too cynical. Yeah, see, that's the that's the beauty of Garth Ennis, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he's deeply cynical in the same way that Miller and Ellis are, yet there's always a slither of hope to his stories there's always something about them that has heart that I don't think Miller Miller certainly doesn't have it (laughs) Ellis occasionally has it but even there it's always shot through with cynicism Mm. and I think that's ultimately why I like Garth Ennis more than I like those other two I mean I don't I don't like Mark Miller's stuff much anyway I mean he has his fans but not for me but I think ultimately that's why I prefer Garth Ennis. This is miserable as hell. It's uncomfortable as hell. It's hard, as hard a hitting a story as he ever did in this book. And let's not forget, he started out with his with Frank's family's graves being desecrated and pissed on. That's where he started. Yeah. So he's starting in a pretty dark place, and yet there is still a ray, a small sliver, mm. a smidgen. Of hope at the end of the story. Viereka is still alive and yeah. she's free. It's when, you know, when they had him all fighting on the side of the angels? Yeah. Well, that here, didn't work, did it? here he, he is fighting on the side of the angels, but a lot less, a lot less blatant about it. He, yeah, it's. He's not changing anything and he's not making a big deal, but he's, he's helping people. Yes. The individuals rather than the problem. He's a gritty version of the equaliser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you do feel worn out after reading it though, don't you? Uh, yeah, I it do. Is, it is a little bit, um, I don't know. It's 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 probably as rough a story as he ever did. In yeah. This, and he, he went to some pretty dark places in The Punisher. But it's still a great run and well worth tracking down. I don't know if it's all still in print. I know it's not available digitally. Right. For legal, legal yeah, digital. Yeah, yeah. It's not on Comicology because I've had a look. Right. But uh, if you can track down the trades, I think all the trades are still in print. I've yet to finish it. I know Born. Well, I did. All oh, right. So you were talking about the end of this, weren't you? Weren't the last story? Yeah, the last story brings it all to an end. So you may be better reading it all again. Fair enough. Before you yeah, get yeah, to the end, I was going to. I loved it in the sense that it was uncomfortable. Yeah, and all of it. Not pleasant. Oh well, his entire run's brilliant. Yeah. I think he's, pun- he's punishing Mac stuff I think pisses all over his Marvel Knight stuff it, 
um, Punisher Max ruined the Punisher for me. Like I was saying last week, yeah. like, because this, this might not be a good thing to say, but um, I was reading Punisher Max when you got him in hardback, so I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to be reading them. <laughs> but 2007 yeah so you were 13 I was 13 yeah still not old enough to be reading them. oh come on kids love reading stuff or watching stuff that isn't suitable for them exactly especially that's... when they get to 12, 13 years of age yeah exactly that's why I'm reading it I mean I'm not saying uh, yeah but I was reading them and because uh, terrible parenting of course like I said last week the Punisher the Punisher Max is my Punisher because of how real and how good it was and how much I enjoyed the character, yeah, um, he just ruined every other Punisher before and after it that wasn't... But you still enjoyed the stuff we did last week, apart from the first one. Yeah. Like I said, last week, once I, once I accepted that he's not my Punisher, he's another Punisher, or he's becoming he's my Punisher. He's a PG version. Of, yeah, he's becoming the Punisher. Yeah. So you know, once I accepted that, fine, I can I can accept any iteration. But this is mine. Having watched the Netflix Daredevil series, I wanted to do the Punisher next. Yeah, because I think they could totally pull it off. Because prior to, they've got the rights to the Punisher back now. Right. And prior to this, I was a bit well. They probably wouldn't do an 18 rated thing. They would totally do an 18 rated thing. Right. Okay. And I think the, the Punisher could pull it off. Watch, watch the 10 minute fan made one. I will watch the Thomas Jane 10 minute fan made one. Well, that was hard work. I think it's it's. I think we should lighten up a bit next week. Yeah, yeah. So next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, Cliff Seacord is the Rocketeer. Good night. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Yeah, present. Hey, shopping is my job! <laughs>